I'm Naira. I'm Ellie. I'm Nina. I'm Joanna. This is Politics Under the Microscope, where we explore issues that matter to you by connecting science, policy, and society. Hello, and welcome back to Politics Under the Microscope. My name is Ellie, and I will be one of your co-hosts for this episode. Today, we are here with Ingrid and Gianna, two members of March for Science, a nonprofit organization in New York City that is focused on climate change advocacy and is predominantly comprised of scientists. Welcome, Ingrid and Gianna. It's incredible to have you. I think one of the first things to start our discussion off with is sort of how March for Science was started and how it's different from other organizations. Sure, yeah, thanks so much for having us. Um, so March for Science really started as a reactionary moment um, at the same time as kind of in the same response as the Women's March where its direct catalyst was the election of Donald Trump in 2016. But overarching was really motivated by from both sides, Democratic and Republican parties, a disregard for funding for sciences and the impact that it had on the livelihood of the scientists and engineers doing that work. Um, and it started off as a single day event that happened in 2017, I believe, um, which I just realized how far away that is. I was a first year grad student when I attended the March and now I'm faculty. So it's a little strange to think about how fast the time has moved. But it really started as that single day rally where the scientific community was basically in D.C. to say, you know, we're here, we have a voice and we're calling on elected officials from across the aisles to really listen to us and prioritize what our needs are. Um, what evolved out of that was satellite sister marches that happened all around the globe where those needs were defined more specifically to those communities. And since then, satellite organizations have kind of popped up there. And I think that's what differentiates us quite a bit um, from other organizations that are based around disciplines. So, for example, chemical engineering societies or even National Science Policy Network are really wonderful and that they're tied around these common kind of structures and goals, like the idea of chapters and how they're organized. But with March for Science, what really happened was a lot of organic organizing at the local level, where scientists in New York, for example, where Gianna and I um, got to know each other and work together, um, or whether you're in Alabama, got to think about what science advocacy looked like at the local level. And that has taken a million different forms since then. March for Science isn't inherently unique from other advocacy orgs in the sense that like we're fighting for things that are different than what a lot of people in these spaces are fighting for. I think we are unique in the sense that we exist at an intersection between science and the political sphere, which isn't, it's not that it's not common, it's just that there's very steep perceptions on science belonging within politics. A lot of people argue that science is apolitical, which it isn't. So just having a group that pretty much exists to counter that statement is unique in that sense. And like Ingrid was saying, working on the local level, so getting scientists out of their labs and into like the streets of New York, for example, and working with people from their communities, advocating for community-specific policies and politics is really where our missions, and I think that's we're unique in that sense. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think that's it's super important, especially especially now, given 
um, all that's happened with pandemic where we saw science being used as a political tool, right? So direct relevance there. And I think the other thing that I think makes your organization unique as well is that you guys all have diverse technical backgrounds. And we were also wondering like how these backgrounds inform current advocacy efforts and what, like how does the organization choose um, which issues um, to, to pursue and to make changes? My background is in sustainable systems. I studied sustainable urban environments at NYU and I got my Bachelor of Science there. And going into March for Science, I was really like interested in the climate work that they were doing. Climate has always been at the forefront of um, March for Science as a movement, just because of how prominent it is and how very little work is being done in the political sphere. So I was really interested in holding like climate workshops and sort of helping us to set like focus our climate education and climate work being done in New York City. I think March for Science for me particularly like did inform how science should be used to like better communities and how deeply ingrained evidence-based policy needs to be in our politics. That helped me with my uh, like picking my degree for grad school. So now I study engineering and public policy, which is a very interdisciplinary field and is pretty much like March for Science as a degree. degree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and for me, I feel like it was very gradual as well. When I was an undergrad, so I've studied chemical engineering um, and for like my whole track for from BS to PhD. And when I started studying engineering as a first year, I think I had just a very... Um, I just kind of thought, you know, get my degree, get a job, make money, kind of get out. And I thought I'd work in the consumer products or in chemical engineering, oil and gas, and pharmaceuticals are the big two industries. And I actually interned at an oil and gas company when I was an undergraduate student. And it was really eye-opening for me, just in the regards to, one, seeing how energy was produced and the culture of the companies that you kind of just like kind of see from the outside looking in, um, but also just how stuck in our ways sometimes as innovative and as imaginative as we say scientists can be, how traditional and kind of stubborn industry can be to react to these things, particularly when it comes to things like energy, where, yes, of course, climate crisis takes the precedence as the framework under which, you know, we're all operating and like living and breathing, but it's also old technology that we're relying on. And as Gianna said, there's just no political will to move towards more sustainable solutions though we know that the costs that we're going to pay economically at the baseline, but just, you know, with our livelihood and with our health is also at stake. And when it came to kind of navigating what March for Science wanted to stand for, it kind of happened in line where a lot of organizing has been going on, has been happening since um, 2016, where the youth climate movement also came to the forefront and as well as movements such as March for Our Lives, Folks who are organizing and continue to organize around pandemic and COVID justice and reproductive health as well. And thinking about the ways, as Shiana said, that science is just underlying all of these things. And oftentimes the way that lack of understanding or even just a disregard and disrespect for expertise um, can guide the way that politicians make their decisions. And just being that kind of like vocal voice where it's like, you know, like 
the, the data is here and here, like it's not just numbers, like it has meaning and that we're here to advocate it, um, really informed it. So I think climate naturally came as an extension to being most, many of us being engineers and then just listening to, to all the causes that we care about and all these common threads among them. Um, again, climate being the large framework under which we're operating under, but the things that we care about, like security, health, justice, all these things kind of just being kind of like in, like operating throughout the threads, whether it's virology or anything, and really thinking about the approach we take to science and the way that we do our jobs more than anything else. The other thing that we are really curious about is, you know, how March for Science is, is acting on its mission. Um, if there are educational programs that you've set up or um, policies that you've advocated for that ended up passing. We'd love to hear like some of those success stories as well as challenges and uh, places where you feel the organization could use support uh, from communities and, and scientists as well. Yeah, so I will say we're young. Yeah. I think like every person that we've been able to connect with has been a win. So Gianna kind of alluded to in the beginning, March for Science in New York City had took a little bit to get started, but once Omar and I found Gianna, then we found the next person and next person. That sense of community, I think, has really been one of the most joyful experiences, at least for me as like an educator and an engineer. And just folks' reaction, I think, to finding a sense of community around these things, like not just realizing, you know, I know that, so I worked on, like, I was a materials chemist in grad school, or I am a materials chemist, but I really worked like at the fume lid all day long making my baby nanoparticles, which felt so removed from what real life felt like. But being able to find a network of people that were like-minded in realizing these things, I think has been really powerful. And in terms of programming, we've been able to one, grow these networks with not just other science policy groups, but inroads with academic departments, meeting with city council members to share research and start these conversations up. Um, I will say that like as an organization, from the nonprofit side, which is one of the challenges, we don't advocate for any specific laws or bills, but rather kind of direction. So saying things, for example, that climate justice is something that we need to like prioritize in all the policy that we're doing, for example, and offering that kind of expertise. I could talk about some of like our specific programs that I love the most. Not that they're all not great. That's okay. <laughs> I, we did a workshop in partnership with another local community group called One Freedom for All. And they had like a group of high school students and we talked to them about food. Omar and I used to run a vertical aquaponic farm at NYU called Urban Food Lab. So we had like experience with food and they are partly like a food justice group. So we had discussions centered on that. And we talked to them a bit about climate. It was really just a nice thing to do. And we went over like the basics of like how to like properly research. And we talked about like misconceptions on like the internet and misinformation and how to like go about like knowing that something, knowing something is real. And our fireside series that we set up during the pandemic was also really great. I know after the Black Lives Matter protests started up again in 2020. We had safe spaces for BIPOC and 
had started to foster discussions about diversity in STEM issues within STEM, like as a whole, and sort of just creating these really niche spaces. And personally, I found this like super helpful. It because being inside was really isolating and having to read all of it. And as Black women in STEM field, it's hard sometimes of having like open discussions about these issues and being able to write about it too, which is something that we did later on, was just really heartwarming and something that I love that we did. And I hope that we continue to do like like that in the future. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's such an amazing, it's amazing that you guys were, were able to connect directly to groups within the community that you know, needed, needed people like you needed your expertise and, and your openness to inviting people to think differently. I will transition over to Ellie because she has some questions related to more specific lines of, of work that you guys do. So Ingrid, you mentioned in, in your previous response that, um, Marsh for Science has been able to interface with city council members. And I'm wondering, this may be a bit of a naive question, but do you scientists interface directly with them? Like, are you presenting research? Are you lending a scientific perspective? Yeah, it's us presenting our research. So with the help of our organizer, Alyssa, who serves as our programming director, we organize basically a poster session, an academic poster session targeted for city council members where they could just come and meet graduate students and postdocs and talk about their research. So does that mean that the students that are presenting their research, including the postdoc trainees, they have to communicate in such a way that politicians who are not commonly scientists, they have to communicate in such a way that they understand? Yeah, for sure. And that's something that we also do our best to provide a platform to train on. So leading up to the session, essentially what we did was like kind of very similar to like academic conference style was we had um, graduate students and postdocs submitted abstract to our team that we reviewed. And then we had a workshop with them to basically turn that abstract into a poster that was digestible, as you said, um, for a council person who might not have 30 minutes to like learn everything about quantum dots, for example, but could talk about, you know, the implications of semiconductor research um, in New York State. I see. So how is that how is communicating your research to a council member, for example, different than communicating it to a person on the street? I don't think it's too different. I think what we've learned is that everyone has a stake in science and everyone appreciates it in some way. And really the value in those poster sessions, like in any any setting, is really the connection you're able to make with who you're sharing your work with. Um, and just trying to find that, I think, is what really guides it. Yeah, we've done poster sessions in the street as well. That yeah. might be <laughs> we've done them in the park. Yeah, gotcha. That's so interesting. And then another question I had is in relation to uh, advocating for specific measures, specific pieces of legislation. You said that March for Science does not do that. Mm-mm. So as a C three, that's one of the, I think one of the challenges. Yeah, where we can't say you know vote for this bill or we can't endorse certain elected officials. It's more about the platform and kind of like the guiding principles around the policies. I know that there are a lot of tenets to your guys' mission statement, but I would like you guys to take a moment just to highlight them um, for our listeners. Mark for Science Condensed is really just trying to build a more informed democracy and advocating for, you know, just 
better human environmental rights. So that's us proposing easing restrictions to to evidence-based policy and uh, you know open access papers, stuff like that. And sort of the work that we do with climate justice, working for you know environmental rights as well as human rights. So on a more personal level, it really I guess is like a three round approach between justice, climate, and the environment, and knowledge as a whole. Thank you so much for your time, Ingrid and Gianna. It was lovely having you on the podcast and getting to spotlight March for Science as a climate change advocacy group fueled by scientists. Stay tuned for our next episode, also with Ingrid and Gianna, that focuses more on open access to scientific papers and scientific information, which has long been pretty privileged information. We will also discuss who is responsible for making these papers readily available to the public.